Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality Podcast. It is December 6th. That means it's Wednesday. I'm tired. It is 7 p.m. I just finished watching, what is it, the fourth debate? I don't even know what fucking number it is anymore, but I just finished watching it. And I know I sound like it's midnight, but in reality, that debate just drained me. Also, I did a good run today and did some gym, but I, but I shouldn't be this tired. I, I got off early today because we had a big snowstorm, went, went home a little bit early. Like, I shouldn't be this tired. But just watching this last debate, or I don't know if it's the last debate, but it's the last one I've seen. Oh, God. I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I did just want to give a few updates on other things happening. We'll probably... Well, we're going to focus on the debate because it's late. And as you guys can tell, I don't, I'm just morally, ethically, politically drained after that. But what I will say is that there was a shooting at UNLV today, which is the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Three people killed. One person was wounding. Police said Wednesday, according to CBS News, Las Vegas that the suspect was killed by officers who rushed to the scene and that there was no ongoing threat to the community. I'm going to hold out much more to say about this, but I'm tired of it. 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 And other than that, there's not really much else I can say other than it would really fucking suck if you had kids. They get to college Maybe you helped them get there, you're paying for them, or they worked their ass off against the circumstances to get there, and then they're shot by a degenerate asshole who has nothing to live for. Sorry, not sorry, if I sound cold. But that's what I think. And I haven't, I don't, I don't know who the shooter is, I don't care who the shooter is. Even if I knew who the shooter is, I wouldn't use his name but it's, I'm, I'm glad the person was killed, um, and at the same time, it's just another horrific example of why I'm glad I don't have kids and why I'm not sending them to campuses or to college right now, because I, I would just always be kind of worried, always kind of terrified, and kids work their butts off to get to college. They shouldn't have to worry about that. We'll probably talk more about that as more information comes out. Another interesting thing is that Biden says, <laughs> he said during a speech, hold on, I, I have it in front of me. Yeah, he said on Tuesday at a speech during a fundraiser in Boston that he's not sure he would be running for re-election if former President Donald Trump were not also running. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is mainly tongue-in-cheek, but can we like make some sort of national unity deal where like Trump and Biden just agree to both go away and we just like have a reset and we don't have Trump or Biden. And I don't know, we just pick like Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or Josh Sapiro against like Nikki Haley or Mike Pence, I don't know, or Larry Hogan, anyone else. Of course, that's not going to happen. But this is one of those interesting things to me is that Biden obviously is convinced that he can beat Trump again because he beat Trump in 2020 and he feels like he's the only person who can do it. I've talked about on the podcast before that I'm just not sure if that is actually true because again, the circumstances were different. The incumbent always has his record as a challenge. 
the outsider can run against it. And Biden was able to easily run against Trump in 2020, talking about COVID, talking about the first impeachment, talking about just the insane rhetoric Trump was putting out at the time. It was easy when you had thousands of Americans dying a day at a point and Trump telling people to inject or ingest bleach. It was pretty easy to run against him from your basement, as Joe Biden did. The problem now is that the world is a crazy place. Everything has gotten about 10 times crazier. Most of the Republican voters think either the election was stolen or at least voter integrity is not great. January 6th is now seen as kind of a litmus test. Trump is doing better than ever. And Biden's popularity is about as bad as Jimmy Carter and Trump's. And Kamala Harris is also very unpopular. So it's, it's, it's really tough. And, and the thing is now, of course, Biden has to run. I'm very against like Dean Phillips and all these other third party people at this point, because I do just think there are more moderate Democrats than there are Republicans willing to vote third party. So it just takes away from Biden. And at this point, Trump has told us what he wants to do. He was even on Hannity, I think it was yesterday, and Hannity was trying to give him softballs to explain how he doesn't want to do crazy shit in his second term. And once again, Trump basically said, no, 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 I actually want to do the crazy shit. Hold my beer. I want to, you know, deport tens of millions of immigrants. I want to put in national loyalty tests for immigration. I want to have nationalism teaching in our schools. And I want to purge the secret service, or not the secret service, the federal service, the civil service. So... Trump's told us what he wants to do, and I just think I wish both of these guys were not running. I've talked about this before, but at this point, Biden should have maybe had this realization a couple of years ago, but then again, Biden's been been president for less than a full term. He ran basically saying he would make sure Trump never comes back. He would bring the country back together again. All of this stuff is just almost impossible in what two and a half almost three years all of it is and I, I guess all of this puts into perspective for me that pretty much 2020 to 2024 we hoped would be a time where we kind of return to sanity and I would argue things have just gotten crazier and a lot of things have happened that I wouldn't have expected and so I just don't know how I feel about these Biden comments to be honest before I get into the debate the last thing I want to say is that Kevin McCarthy Former Speaker of the House, you know, the striver, the guy who always wanted his name as Speaker. He wanted to be remembered in history for Speaker. Well, he has announced that he is going to be retiring, leaving Congress at the end of the year, so fairly soon. CNN notes he announced in a Wall Street Journal op-ed on Wednesday a highly anticipated decision that comes two months after his unprecedented ouster from the Speakership. McCarthy, as we know, had a pretty rough time as speaker. He's been in office for 17 years. I would call him, moderate's not the right word, shapeshifter and just politician would be the words I would use to describe him. And definitely spineless. Um, his spine, I've heard rumors, is somewhere along the 405 in LA. Yes, if you find his spine, please return it to him. But anyways, I'm not surprised he's resigning, retiring, whatever you want to call it, because this is a guy who's a striver. He wants more power. He wants the title. And when he got the title and then abruptly lost it, he doesn't want to govern. He doesn't want to do anything for the American people to actually legislate. He wanted the title. And now that he doesn't have the title, why? Why would he stay? So anyways, I am not going to shed a tear for him. <sighs> but I guess now we talk about 
the recent debate. I am going to do a format for this debate analysis where I'm going to give you the layout, basically the, I guess you could say the outline of the different topics brought up. And for each topic, I'm, I'm just going to bring up a few key moments from that. And yeah, I'll give some takes and rants and you'll hear me sigh and sigh and sigh. But first off, just some, just some thoughts off the top. The debate was on News Nation. Do you guys remember News Nation? Well, it's kind of, um, I think it's Kyle Kalinske, who's one of my favorite YouTubers, progressive YouTuber. He says it's where journalist careers go to die. And I think that's probably a pretty accurate take. And anyways, this debate was hosted by Megyn Kelly, someone I still listen to and enjoy some of her perspectives and takes, though I don't like her social issues as much. It also is with Elizabeth Vargas, uh, formerly of ABC News, and the conservative Eliana Johnson of the site The Washington Free Beacon. Now, News Nation, hmm. it is supposed to be this kind of centrist outlet to kind of go against MSNBC and Fox News, basically. It's supposed to fall somewhere in the middle. It bills itself as an unbiased alternative to competitors, and it's worked out as well because it has, like, Chris Cuomo after, you know, his just ethical and moral bankruptcy on CNN. It has Dan Abrams of ABC News, Ashley Banfield from MSNBC, and Leland Viterp from Fox News. And so they're saying we're just bringing in different perspectives. And in theory, I like that idea. But the AP has a good piece talking about how critics like Media Matters suggest News Nation leans more right than down the middle. And also the Daily Beast has an interesting um, article on that. And, I mean, let's think about it for a second. Bill Shine, a former Fox executive, Trump guy, corrupt guy, he's a consultant for it. You also, you also have a guy, Chris uh, Steyerwald, a politics editor who's a Fox News alum, it does seem like, while this is not a hyper-partisan network, it does seem to interview more conservatives or take a more conservative approach. And the Daily Beast did a study talking about how left-leaning voices are heard on News Nation rarely, briefly, and curiously, as if to tick a box. Now, Chris Cuomo, I think, has always been kind of a center guy, a center-left guy. He pissed me off last week. Well... I'm not a fan of him in general, but he pissed me off last week when he was on X, I believe it was, and he said that the media is overplaying the threat of Trump, and he said he doesn't think there's any difference between a Trump victory and a Biden victory in 2024. This is, again, a guy who was on CNN for Trump's entire first term, who literally was talking about Trump's violations of democracy and the threat Trump had to democracy, and now he's on News Nation and completely changed his tune. And I think actually Chris Cuomo's point there that both sides are bad and Trump's no bigger threat than Biden kind of sums up the News Nation theme, <laughs> if, if you want to say. So anyways, News Nation, I'm surprised. I, so I have YouTube TV, found out I do have it. So I recorded it, went to the gym and got back and watched it. And I'm going to say I mean, this is kind of a hot take. I think it was the not the best debate so far, but the moderators were the best so far. And they covered a plethora of topics that actually forced the candidates to really talk about things that they hadn't 
such as he who will not be named Donald Trump. There was a whole category on Donald Trump. And I have always been a pretty big fan of, um, of Megyn Kelly and her moderating ability, her ability to ask tough questions, and her straight face response when they get into the bullshit. And I think they did cover a pretty good range of topics. So I'm going to tell you the range of topics, and then we'll get into them one by one. I'll try to keep this as short as possible. The layout. So the first 17 minutes, I'd call it a food fight. And that first 17 minutes is followed by Chris Christie spending three minutes basically just eviscerating everyone. Then you get Israel and Gaza, then Iran, Syria, Iraq, and then broader foreign policy. And then about 25 to 30 minutes in, Vivek seems like a complete asshole and everyone's laying into him. Then you get the border leading to China, obviously, because border, migration, drugs, fentanyl, easy into the border, into China. Then, oop, shut up, Siri. And then you get housing in the economy. Megyn Kelly, this is my favorite part, forces them to actually talk about Trump. Then you get trans kids, adults, schools. Then you have this biased third party for ju- judicial watch ask each candidate biased questions about election fraud and Trump being the victim. And then you get into colleges, anti-Semitism, China and Taiwan, and then the vaccine. Honestly, quite a range that I think does separate all four of these. I guess I should mention Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy. Interestingly, when you only have four people, you can't have someone in the middle as the front runner, or at least optically, So you have Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis in the middle. And of course, the big takeaway is that she, I think, got a lot more attention than he did. And it really just just visually looks like the limelight has been stolen from him if he ever had it. So first topic, I would just call kind of a mishmash, a food fight, finger pointing, inability to answer questions. By the way, Ron DeSantis, his campaign must have told him to smile more because he continues with that horrifying smile. And again, when he doesn't disappear from the debate, he just fails to answer simple questions, kowtows, diverts, all of that fun. So anyways, the first 17 minutes, DeSantis is asked about, you know, how he differs from Trump. And he just says, we beat Fauci on COVID and we beat George Soros and the Democrats are crazy. Made it sound like he's some sort of freedom fighter. Florida is the beacon of change and hope. Now, now, uh, Megyn Kelly comes off just, just roasting him. She's like, you're even losing to Trump by (laughs) double digits in your home state and the state that you're the governor. And he just says, I'm not going to listen to the media class. I'm not going to listen to the establishment. I'm not going to listen to polls. And he just has this arrogance and hubris that seems like he knows he's won the nomination, or at least there's a lot of hope. And he just focuses on how the left-wing woke agenda is bad. And again, you're just going, this guy has no chance possible. Um, Then Megyn Kelly turns to Nikki Haley and grills her on basically her leaving the United Nations during her Trump years and doing private events for like Morgan Stanley, being on Boeing's board, and how she made a lot of money. She deflects and (laughs) right away gets radical. 
basically saying that the don't say gay bill doesn't go far enough, which no one asked her to say, by the way. No one asked her to say, but boy, did she jump into that right off the bat. And this immediately made me wonder if Nikki Haley's even worse, worth, sorry, never Trumpers like me's time because, you know, she comes off as a better option, but then she says stuff like that, or she talks about a six week ban in South Carolina for abortion while also talking about not banning it nationally, but then says she would personally like a six month ban, like She's too contradictory for me, and it kind of gets exhausting, and I wonder if she will be just as radical as Ron DeSantis. And just from the beginning, unquestioned, she just goes, the don't say gay bill doesn't go far enough. And as you guys know, I am very against the don't say gay bill. Anyways, we have that go on, and Vivek comes in, and Megan Kelly asks a good question. She's like, you talk about being the unifier, but it seems like you like to just call out everyone else and be divisive. And he kind of, you know, taps around that and then talks about how the other candidates will not unite the country, but he can. And Vivek just has this really fascinating, I alone can fix this complex that is really toxic and off-putting and makes him just look like an asshole, as I will say many times, because F Vivek, that is my biggest takeaway from this debate. But anyways, he constantly at this beginning part talks about how it was a 30, I think 33-year-old Thomas Jefferson that was one of the founding fathers, and he talks about how we need a new generation like that, basically implying that he is like a young person that can be like Thomas Jefferson. He ignores the fact that Jefferson was literally like a founding father, a civics expert, someone involved in, in just the prose and culture of our time. Vivek was a lifelong Democrat who went to Harvard and, and founded a very wealthy and successful company and now is a Twitter troll and a populist and a guy who just puts his thumb in the wind, licks it and says, oh, okay, the wind's coming from this direction. So then Nikki lays into Ron for a little bit and Vivek lays into Nikki, refueling their just, just brutal, brutal conflict. And anyways, let's skip ahead because a lot of this was a big waste of time. Like, literally just a big goddamn waste of time. Chris Christie finally comes in after about 17 minutes. By the way, the rest of them have just thrown food at each other for about 17 minutes. And Christie, of course, only guy who speaks the truth and just brings up the elephant in the room. He calls the elephant Voldemort, which is Donald Trump. And Christie says... I'm not saying this direct, but something to the effect of this. He says, we are 17 minutes into the debate, and these three others are acting like the race is between us. The fifth guy doesn't have the guts to show up. It's hard to be the only one on stage telling the truth. Then he talks about how Trump is he who should not be named. They're acting like we're all serious candidates, not losing to him by double digits, and he's not even here. And he just basically highlights the fact that these people are acting like it's a a normal debate and not just this kindergarten, not even VP debate, because none of these people are going to be VP. And he just addresses the elephant in the room, no pun intended, that it's wild that they're not even talking about the specter of Trump 2.0. And I totally, 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 totally agree with that. And Chris Christie obviously is the guy that I would vote for if I had to pick between the four of them. Again, he has corruption issues. He's not perfect. He gave the green light in 2016 to support Trump. 
He created the permission structure for the establishment to kind of go for Trump. He was one of the first establishment people to endorse Trump. But look, he's doing something that they are not. He's recognizing his mistakes and destroying everyone. And he did go in war mode during this debate, no doubt. And I am totally fine with it. So anyways, then DeSantis and them. So so anyways, Christy tells the truth. Now we're into the third part of the debate, which is Israel and Gaza. They ask, they basically ask Ron DeSantis what he would do. And he gets into a long poetic diatribe about how Hamas wants a second Holocaust and that Biden has done nothing for Israel, says we must er er eradicate Hamas. By the way, I'm always just surprised about how all of these people, even Chris Christie, think Biden does nothing. It's like Trump was literally one of the worst leaders for foreign policy that I've ever seen. And I follow a lot of foreign policy. Biden's trying his best, and it's just funny how none of them will even give him an ounce of credit. But anyways, DeSantis talks about this for quite some time, about the threat of Hamas, and he wants to eradicate them. Never gives an example of how to do that without just wiping out all of the Palestinians. And then Christie just <laughs> lays into Ron, not taking things seriously. And I think this is the pretty much best summarization I've heard of Ron DeSantis. Basically, Christie says, when asked if you are going to send troops into a conflict, you can't give a 90-minute speech on a military service. And basically what he means here is that Ron DeSantis can't commit when he's just asked by Megyn Kelly if he, can, if, if he would send troops into something like a volatile Middle East. And instead he talks about his own, middle, uh, his own military service. And Chris Christie's like, we don't need your 90-minute diatribe. Just give us a fucking answer. And then we learn a little bit later that... Haley, of course, wants us to get into a heated conflict with Iran. She wants us to do so by attacking our proxies in Syria and Iraq. And it is not lost on me, of course, that we have military, we have American military installments in the area that are at risk, and we need to make sure and protect them. That is absolutely not lost on me. What is lost on me is that she seems pretty fine with a bigger war with Iran, which to me would be existential and not worth our time. And basically, I think her best point is that it's all related. She talks about how Putin hits rock bottom, Ukraine's doing okay. We see the Hamas attack, and we see how Iran is involved in that, but also Iran's been helping Russia and Ukraine. And she says there is no one happier here than Putin after the Hamas attack. She talks about how the Taiwanese are counting on Ukraine to win. And she basically talks about how some of these other candidates are just not good enough when you have such a volatile situation and you need someone to be strong with Putin. And on that stuff, I agree with Nikki Haley. Again, Vivek, as I'll talk about later, attacks her intelligence. Total sexism that is insane to me. And I still think Nikki Haley actually knows the most about this, even though Vivek claims the opposite. But then we kind of transition from... The war in Syria, the war in Gaza, Iran, all that, to just foreign policy in general. And you guys will be surprised, <laughs> I'm kidding, to hear that Vivek has some of the worst takes around. He talks about how Nikki, well, well he, he first off calls the war in Ukraine pointless, which, which I don't think it's pointless no matter what side you stand on it. 
that's a whole other conversation that I've talked about a lot, but he also then gets into how Nikki Haley knows nothing about Ukraine and that he does. He's like, she cannot name the three regions that are being fought over in Ukraine, which, guys, I would take a pretty big bet that she does. <laughs> I mean, say what you want about her, but she, other than being ambassador to the United Nations, also does have a lot of neocon neoconservative connections with what Vivek would call the deep state, which is the military establishment. So they don't pay her the big bucks unless she does know these things, I would assume. And he just attacks her on not knowing these regions, which kind of is just mind-blowing to me because I'm sure she knows Luhansk, Donetsk, Crimea, just to, just to name some, some regions. And then Chris Christie fires back. And I love this line. Again, I, I was writing notes as this was going on, so it's not verbatim. But he says, this is the fourth debate, debate that you have been voted the most obnoxious blowhard in America. And Vivek again, unscathed, which I, I do give him credit. He just is shameless. But anyways, yeah, Christie says that. And then Christie says, we are 25 minutes into this debate and Vivek is debating Haley's intelligence, not her policies. And I was like, good for you, Christie. And then he talks about how he disagrees with her, but then he also defends her. He's like, I've known Haley for 12 years, longer than Vivek has voted in the Republican Party, which is true because I, I recommend you guys look at some of the earlier videos when he was just this like tryhard college liberal who was going to like Obama events and stuff and asking questions in candidate forums. His, his transformation is interesting. And... <laughs> And then Vivek just gets all mean and defensive, again, criticizing Nikki for being stupid, but then also calling Chris Christie fat, basically. He says, go enjoy a nice meal, enjoy your life, you shouldn't be on this stage. And, and then I think Christie brings up interesting points where after 9-11, he was highly involved in the Bush administration, prosecuting bullies and terrorists. And Christie says, I was dealing with the outcome of 9-11 and prosecuting bullies and terrorists while Vivek was learning about Ukrainian territories at Harvard while he was still a Democrat. And I thought that was all very well articulated, to be completely honest. And again, Chris Christie bringing up the most important points, really bringing up the most important points. So then we get to the border, a lot of the same stuff, so I won't really stick on it for too, too long. But basically, DeSantis criticized for his idea of shooting people that they think have backpacks of fentanyl, basically saying you need like vigilantism at the border because DeSantis seems to think that the only people coming across the border are terrorists and drug dealers. Of course, there are some of that. There are definitely some of that. But to think that's the only demographic coming across the border is just insane. And then we learn that DeSantis is a big proponent of the wall. He talks about how the wall was never built. It's one of his big criticisms of Trump when he's willing to criticize Trump. But then it turns out he wants to build the wall too, which to me is just <laughs> not going to do anything because there's, there's a lot of interesting studies about how a lot of people get into this country via planes, via other means of transportation. And a wall, yeah, maybe it's a deterrence, but it's not going to solve this. And then Nikki Haley in this segment... She shows me again that she is too contradictory. She talks about wanting amnesty for older illegal immigrants, kind of in the Reagan form, because we have to remember he granted amnesty to a lot, a lot of people in the 80s. But then she at the same time also wants to deport recent ones. 
again, Nikki Haley contradictory on everything from abortion and Biden and Trump. Like she thinks Trump was the right president for the right time, which I disagree with. She thinks the Trump economy was good, even though I would argue the tariffs Trump put on China are part of why our economy was not good and why prices are high, which I think is just an economic fact. But anyways, it, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, they focus on fentanyl and fentanyl is an issue, but then they all resort to bombing the cartels, a special operation in Mexico, which is ludicrous. And I, I learned nothing new from this, except for they're all kind of lockstep on this issue. And I don't like that. So then after immigration, I guess you could say we get into the economy and there's some interesting points and, of course, some not so interesting points. And I think Nikki brings up the interesting point of the average homeowner being 49 years old. I, I, I don't know if that's this numbers everywhere, but that's what she says. And she criticizes the Fed for spending. I think the interesting argument she brings up, which is true, is that she talks about how our kids won't forgive us for all the spending because obviously there are going to be cuts down the road. I am one of the ones that will probably see cuts. People younger than me will see more cuts. People a little bit older than me will see cuts. But then she also does a good job of linking this to Trump's economy. And this is something she's been very hard on Trump about. And it's that she talks about how Trump's economy has spent a lot. Now, an interesting part of this segment is that DeSantis actually talks about student loans. And I, weirdly enough, agree with DeSantis, which is something that doesn't come out of my tongue, doesn't come out of my mouth, that sounds a little bit better, doesn't come out of my mouth very much, is that he talks about how he doesn't want the average, like, blue-collar worker getting a raise in their taxes to pay for loan forgiveness, but at the same time, he understands that college is too expensive and that if you're going to go to college and take out a loan, you should be promised at least some sort of success in your future. And of course, he rallies against, you know, gender studies and all the things that he calls woke studies, blah, 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 blah. But then he brings up an interesting idea is that loans should be backed by universities, not by different lenders, some private and some public, like Advantage and some private ones. And he says, also, the universities should be pressured to make sure that those paying them are getting good jobs. And of course, then he turns that into a woke argument about a lot of the people are studying things that are not going to get them a good job. And that's a whole other conversation. Like, I don't know if you really can pressure private colleges to do these type of things. I am not an educate. I'm not a college education policy expert by any means. But he talks about how some of this money should be put in vocational trades. He talks about how trucking and trucking and other industries such as that have been booming in Florida. It's interesting to say the least. Of course, Vivek gets into regulations and continues his war on three-letter agencies, which I've done a whole podcast on back in October. I recommend checking it out. It's about how Vivek just is against the Chevron doctrine, and he's also against the EPA and the FDA and three-letter agencies, and he thinks that a lot of them need to be gutted, and that will solve all of our problems. Again, it's a simplistic, populistic viewpoint, in my opinion. And, and just as a refresher, the Chevron Doctrine is one of my favorite topics that I remember writing about. I remember at Northwestern, we had a lot of papers we had to write in my administrative law classes. And the Chevron Deference or Chevron Doctrine is from Chevron Inc. versus the NRDC or the Natural Resources Defense Inc., which 
which was a 1984 decision that's been really important. And basically, it's become an administrative law principle that basically compels, I guess is the right word, it compels federal courts to defer to a federal agency's interpretation of some sort of regulation or standard that is unclear based on the test that the courts have in place. So this gives a lot of power to federal agencies over the courts, and Republicans are not a big fan of that right now, and Vivek is a big rallier for overturning that, and this is part of his war on three-letter agencies. Again, I, I think it's fairly unfounded. I am for federal agencies having more deference because I think they understand sometimes the dynamics of their organization instead of a court that is made up of people with either partisan or just judicial views. And I'm really simplifying this for the sake of the podcast, but that is just my very simplified take on that. Anyways, this is where the debate gets kind of interesting. So <laughs> Megyn Kelly's like, all right, we're taking a commercial break, but after the break, we're going to talk about Trump. And I give her credit because Trump has kind of been the persona non grata in a lot of these debates, the Voldemort, he who should not be named. And they get right to this. They get right to this. And of course, Christie is the only one that really gets into this. He talks about how there's no mystery to what Trump is doing. He is anger and bitter and wants revenge. He wants retribution, all the stuff I've been talking about. Christie focuses on why Trump's federal felonies are showing and telling. And then he has, I think, one of the best lines of the day. He turns to the other three and just says, his poll numbers are still high because people like these three make him sound competent. And I think it's a very true point. You can like Nikki Haley. I like Nikki Haley more than the others, other than Chris Christie. But she talks about how Trump was good at a time, and she defends some of Trump. She, she defends some of Trump's records, records. Sorry, that got cut off. And like she wants it both ways, and it doesn't really work that way. But I think it's a valid point is that a lot of these other candidates are just trying to balance the never Trump and the MAGA. And you just really can't go either way. I talked about with Peter Meyer running for the Senate. You can't really be in the middle because Trump wants either full loyalty or, or he sees you as an enemy. And Chris Christie's just said, fuck it. <laughs> and the others are trying to play this middle ground that just doesn't work. And, of course, DeSantis does what all of us, I think, would expect him to do. He talks about how the media is, you know, overplaying, overreacting to the threat of Trump 2.0. But then at the same time, he actually makes some pretty valid critiques of Trump, basically that Trump is incompetent. I actually think Trump would be more competent in Trump 2.0, and I think he actually could get a lot done, this revenge tour, this retribution tour he wants to do. But DeSantis does make up some good talking points here, like he didn't drain the swamp, there was no wall, he runs on things but can't actually complete them. I guess if you're trying to like brainwash yourself to think that Trump 2.0 would be just like Trump 1.0, incompetent, then DeSantis brings up some valid points. I don't really buy them, but I can see where DeSantis is going. I can see his lane. But again, Christie says, DeSantis, just answer the question. You're not answering the question. Is Trump fit for office? And DeSantis gets back to his thing of like, Trump was good, but he's too old now. He's, he's close to age in Biden and we need a new generation. It's like, I, I don't disagree with that, bro. I don't disagree with that. Like, again, I said last week, a Newsom-DeSantis debate with, with both of them as the candidates is preferable to what we have now. But that's not the reality we live in. And 
Christie again brings up a good point. He's like, DeSantis is afraid to answer. And DeSantis must be afraid to answer because he is hoping something happens to Trump, whether that be <laughs> mortality or the criminal justice system. But he, he just can't piss off the MAGA base. So he is just really, really balancing a fine line. And then Christie again gets into, this is my issue with my colleagues. You guys are all afraid to defend Trump. And Christie brings up, I think, another really good point. Because Christie at this point is mask off, zero fucks, speaking the truth. He, he provides a hypothetical scenario, which I think is very important for this time, especially with all the chaos in the world. He basically says, so what happens when you are sitting across from Putin? You have to be able to offend with the truth. You have to be able to offend with the truth, Christy, and I totally agree with you. And none of these other people want to. They would rather gaslight us and make us think they're different instead of talking about the elephant in the room, the orange elephant in the room, which is Trump. And then, of course, Vivek actually brings up a good point, which I hate. I, I don't like it when I agree with Vivek, but he does. He, he brings up a point. He basically eviscerates all of them about whether they're never Trump now or were pro-Trump in the past. He's like, they have all used Trump for power. And that plays true to Chris Christie. That plays true to Nikki Haley. And of course, that plays true to Ron DeSantis, who really got bolstered against um, DeSantis's race against Andrew Gillum when he beat Andrew Gillum, but it was tight and Trump helped him get across the finish line. And then Vivek, of course, talks about how the actual enemy is the deep state returning to his war on the three-letter agencies. And interestingly, he, he's not like Biden is the issue or Trump is the issue, it's the deep state. And this leads flawlessly into Vivek's conspiracies about how January 6th is an FBI conspiracy and that the Great Replacement Theory is the Democratic platform. I've talked about both of those in length on the podcast, so I'm not going to dive into that. But this Vivek is basically like... Uh, Less appealing, less charismatic, but just as toxic Donald Trump, who is trying to do that same playbook, but with nothing new. And it's always kind of interesting to me just to see the evolution of January 6th. There was Antifa, and then no, it was, it was, it was Trump supporters, but oh, they were doing it. They're patriots. And oh, now they're, it's a, you know, they're being attacked by the DOJ, and it's a hit job, blah, blah, blah. And now they're back to it was a government conspiracy with FBI plants and all this stuff. It's quite a voyage. But anyways, then they get into trans kids versus adults, which they all attack Chris Christie because he says it should be a parent's choice. Chris Christie, Vivek says, should be disqualified for his trans views because Chris Christie, I think, brings up the contradictions on the new right, which is that they're for school choice. They're for vaccine choice. But when it comes to parents and trans kids making decisions, they think government should be involved. Obviously, we've seen DeSantis get highly involved in that. And Nikki Haley, kind of, again, a contradictory person. She thinks you should just use the bathroom of your gender assigned at birth. <sighs> it's exhausting. I'm not going to stay on that one too long because it was just a quagmire. DeSantis, though, thinks the government has the right to decide for parents over parents, which I just vehemently disagree with. And then for the rest of it, I mean, we get to Vivek again being just a total a-hole. The crowd boos him, which I love. He seems to just 
get more emboldened, though, when the crowd boos. That's kind of his superpower because he calls out Nikki Haley basically for being a fake Indian because she converted to Christianity several years ago. She was a Hindu. He's still a Hindu. And basically Nikki Haley has said that Vivek Ramaswamy has a woman problem. I think he does. He's condescending towards women. He seems to me to be quite sexist towards women. He is always downplaying the intelligence of women candidates like Nikki Haley. And again, I give her props because being the only woman on that stage with these type of people, minus Chris Christie, he's fine in this, but the others, like, good for her. But he says she has a corruption problem while she is saying he has a woman problem. And he talks about how she's responsible for all these deaths because she's helping prop up the the military industrial complex. The military-industrial complex is obviously an issue. It's a conversation for another time. But to put that all on her while also just, like, attacking her faith and everything, yeah, it warranted a boo. And they asked her if she wanted to respond, and she's just like, no, it's not worth my time. And then he tried to respond to that, and they're like, no, Vivek, you're done, which I loved. Now, the most insane thing Vivek said towards the end of this is that he wants to— like, So, so they talked about China and Taiwan— this might be the most insane thing Vivek's ever really said. He wants to arm all of the Taiwanese, even though Taiwan has a no-gun policy. He talks about enforcing the Second Amendment in Taiwan. And Chris Christie just steps in and says, the Second Amendment is like a U.S. government constitutional thing that the American people decide on and our founders decided on. He's like, Vivek, I don't know if you know much about foreign policy, but you can't just enforce the Second Amendment on a different country with its own laws, which is so true. But Vivek truly seems to believe that we can fix the invasion of, well, well the hypothetical Chinese invasion of Taiwan by just putting the Second Amendment there and giving all the Taiwanese guns which I think would just be a complete catastrophe and a shit show and would not work. But also it's just like the Second Amendment is an American thing. <laughs> Full stop. And Christie, though, gets into that as well. And he's the only guy on stage who brings up tariffs. And he's like, all of you think Trump was good on the economy. And he, he looks at Nikki Haley and he's like, you talk about how Trump was good with China. And he brings up something I've really come around to is that the tariffs have hurt the American taxpayer. They have hurt American producers. They've hurt American farmers. Tariffs hurt the United States. When, when, when there's a tariff on China, it hurts the American producers, American farmers. And, and he's like, part of the reason why prices are high, of course, and he, of course, says spending and Biden and blah, 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 and all the buzzwords. But he's also like, it's Trump's tariffs, which is so true. And they talk about anti-Semitism in colleges which gets complicated because all of them, minus Chris Christie, seem and Vivek, actually, Vivek's okay on this, is all of them want to basically take the tax-exempt status away from institutions like Harvard that are private because of the anti-Semitism and the pro-Hamas rhetoric we're seeing on campuses. And I'm just like, <clears throat> a lot of churches say crazy shit, too. But they're tax-exempt, and there's no criticism towards them on, on taking away that status. Like, that is a whole can of worms that I don't think we want to open up. And that is really, yeah, really a conversation that we don't want to open up. Is like, I don't know if you really want to punish, like, private colleges for what some of their faculty or students are saying. That is just my stance on that. And 
finally, before the closing statements, which were not important, in my opinion, nothing really new. I mean, they all kind of had their closing statements through most of this. They did talk about health, health care, and the vaccine. All of them, interestingly, seemed to, well, not all of them, DeSantis and Vivek specifically, quite against Operation Warp Speed, <coughs> excuse me, which was, you know, Trump's big mobilization with the pharmaceuticals and government spending and emergency declarations to put together the mRNA vaccines during the pandemic. All of them are quite against it. Vivek is the only one I think that actually does bring up good points on our healthcare system and how it's a sick care system. Obviously a very cliche talking point, but fairly relatable and understandable and how how the costs are too high and we're not actually treating the disease, we're not actually treating well-being, we're just dealing with the consequences of a corrupt system. And he also talks about wanting to separate capitalism from democracy, crony capitalism, all that jazz, which I totally agree with. So anyways, that was the debate in a nutshell. I'm not going to spend much more time on it because, again, I think this is a pointless debate in terms of what it's going to do to take down Trump, which you guys know I would love to happen. But it was an interesting debate that I think told us everything about these candidates. What I'm curious to see is, does Ron DeS- what does Ron DeSantis do? He's, I think, still se- I think he's still second in Iowa, but I think he's losing to Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. Governor Sununu is definitely going to endorse Nikki Haley. To me, that is a full stop issue at this point. The Koch Network has endorsed Nikki Haley. Ron DeSantis is becoming less and less of a factor. We're seeing literal fistfights inside of his never-back-down pack. He just seems like he's in chaos, and I bet he wishes he just waited a cycle and ran in 2028. But the question now is, does Chris Christie drop out and endorse Nikki Haley? I don't know, because it seems like he still really wants to play to win, which I don't know if that's good at this point, but we know Chris Christie, ego, thinks he's a fighter, and he is a fighter in a sense. So this is there are a lot of implications in this because maybe you do see like Vivek keep dropping because I don't know what his chance is. Like he still thinks he's in the right place. He was tell, he was telling David Pakman a few weeks ago that he's exactly where he wants to be. I don't know if like bottom, like pulling it like 5% is where you want to be, but that's where he's at. Anyways, like there are there are ramifications for this. Again, I do see down the road it being a two-player race, Trump and Nikki Haley, either way. But So that's why this is important, in a sense. So anyways, the winners, no real winners because Trump is, again, the winner of this. Though I do think Chris Christie's moral compass and his legacy might be winners in this. Vivek, to me, is the obvious loser. DeSantis is doing better, in a sense, but he's still not doing great. Nikki Haley still comes off, I think, is the most sensible other than Chris Christie. So I don't really have winners, but if I had to give a ranking, I think it would be Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, DeSantis, Vivek. So anyways, let me know your thoughts. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great night. Interesting debate. We'll see what's next.